Hi everybody, Liam here. Before we get started today, I just wanted to point out that this episode is part two in a mini-series related to the Black Liberation Walking Tour. That tour is a self-guided, historic immersion into Oakland's Hoover Foster neighborhood that's launching this weekend. You don't have to listen to part one to follow what we're talking about in today's show, but that episode, part one, does provide some more context about this project, if you're curious. Uh, just like last time, this episode is co-hosted with David Peters. Uh, he's the person who really brought this whole tour concept together, and his family goes three generations deep in this neighborhood. And of course, there are many other good people involved in making this project happen as well. So uh, you can find out more at blwt.org. And that's about it. I hope you enjoy the show. Stay tuned. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. All right, David Peters, we are back for volume two of Hoover Foster Stories on East Bay Yesterday. I guess the big news is that the Black Liberation Tour is officially launching this weekend. For folks that might be coming out to the event, what do you think they can expect? What are they, what are they going to see out there? Liam, I'm, I'm so excited uh, for the Juneteenth launch of the Black Liberation Walking Tour. We're going to have speakers, uh, musical performance, dancers, participatory art activities for youth, um, food, uh, and overall good times in the sunshine. Kev Choice is our headlining musical performer. We'll have some remarks from Elaine Brown, the former chairperson of the Black Panther Party. Um, and just a really good time with the vibes of the people. And so really excited for this event. And so this is going to be outside of the California Hotel in an area called the Sparkett Place. And since we're going to be right there in the shadow of the California Hotel, this historic building that's uh, probably one of the most iconic centerpieces of this neighborhood, just in general, what should people know a little bit about the history of the California Hotel? People should know a couple of things. Right now, uh, it houses f formerly unhoused um, people, uh, seniors, a lot who are from this neighborhood. Um, the East Bay Asian Local Development Corporation, of, of which I'm a board member, is now running that along with the Sparky Place um, and our sponsors uh, of the event on Juneteenth. Um, anyone who's driven uh, back and forth on 580 to Bay Bridge has passed by the California Hotel and has seen that iconic neon sign. Built in the early 30s, um, segregated at that time as everywhere in, in Oakland was, and not many people, some people don't realize that, um, was desegregated for renting rooms in 53. Uh, when new ownership took over, including the manager that helped to open it, and just an iconic place for music here in Oakland. All right, and the crazy thing about that history of segregation is, like you said, in the 30s when it opened, it was whites only, and then I think around World War II, they started letting black performers play at the Zanzibar Club, which was like the nightclub on the first floor, but even when African-American folks could work there, essentially, they weren't allowed to to stay there, rent a room until 53. And then after that, it sort of became a black hotel. So it was like a full 180. It went from being whites only to really a center of, of black culture in this neighborhood, right? And this is an underknown history, and we really are in need of somebody to go in and you know collect those stories and dig that out and preserve it and transmit it. Absolutely. And like I said, we'll be hearing a lot more about the California Hotel in an upcoming episode, uh, what happened when the freeways came in and how that affected it, which is a pretty devastating story. But um, in the meantime, just to kind of whet people's appetite for more stories about the California Hotel, the first segment that we're going to be hearing on today's episode is an interview with a man named Alan Laird who used to run an art gallery at the California Hotel um, and live there as well, actually. Just a quick overview of uh, Alan's story. His family came to Oakland in the 1920s from Louisiana. His dad worked on the railroad, so very kind of typical family trajectory there. And uh, 
when I was talking to Alan, he was one of these people where everything he told me was just like blowing my mind because he had so many stories. He was, he grew up in Oakland. He was with Bobby Hutton two days before Bobby Hutton was killed, outside, you know, over by Defermary Park there. He was in the military. He was a minister at one point. Uh, before he owned the art gallery or ran the art gallery in the California Hotel, he had an art gallery uh, called Expressions Art Gallery in Old Oakland until he got priced out there. I think that was kind of during the Jerry Brown era. And so we're going to hear uh, in a second from, from Alan Laird and remembering his years running this art gallery downstairs at the California Hotel in the old Zanzibar space from around 2000 to about 2005. But before we jump in, there's just one point I want to make sure we touch on, which is, uh, as you're going to hear in the story, Alan Laird was homeless for a while, and um, he was able to get out of that situation and, and use his experience to help a lot of other people who are unhoused or struggling with, um, you know, housing insecurity. And Dave, I just want to ask you, like, why you feel like it's important to make sure we include the voices of people who don't have um, houses or, you know, formerly houseless people in this tour. This is a burning issue of our time, Liam. You know, I think everybody who lives in Oakland must wrestle um, with what it means to have so many people that are homeless. Um, there's a housing crisis, but you know, there's always been a housing crisis for black people in Oakland. This is not new. It's been a housing crisis when Alan Laird's family came here in the 20s because the places black people could live were restricted. The housing crisis was worse in the 40s when the population exploded and places that black people could live uh, were restricted. As with redlining and the inability for investment and the properties running down that exacerbated, you know, these housing crises. Currently, you know, with the run up in the cost of living here, people who are integral members of our communities who grew up here, whose families grew up here and who still live here, we don't, our society doesn't have a place to house them. Those people hold stories and they hold space and they are cultural bearers and place keepers, you know, for this community. And, and we, we cannot move forward to greater black liberation until we are able to take care of all the people in our society. All right, let's jump into Alan Laird's story of uh, his time at the California Hotel. Then we'll jump back in in another minute with some more art-related content uh, that has to do with the upcoming Black Liberation walking tour. It's just a historical footprint for the African-Americans who had a life emanating from that hotel because it was the entertainers, you had your nightclub, you had little restaurants around there, and everybody, it was cohesiveness. Even though they couldn't go up across Broadway to do anything too much, you had a place. And you had a hotel, a nice hotel, to visit with hidden sec uh, secrets and uh, old history. Before the freeways and, and different roads were made like uh, it like cordoned off the neighborhoods and killed neighborhoods, it was vibrant. Every commercial spot had was open, you know, but no one at one time would cross Broadway. We all had to stay like below Broadway because the police would, you know, stop you. When I got out the military, I was injured in the military. It was an accident, and I got injured, and I lost my sight of my left eye, and I couldn't see out my right eye really good. And I was paralyzed. You know, I, I went through a lot. So when they sent me home, finally, I started working real hard. I wanted to prove that I was okay. But I, I made it up through the corporate world at American President Lines, but I had a PTSD crash. I just came apart, and I was then fired. So I. I uh, lost the ability to speak. I couldn't even speak. And they weren't really treating PTSD then. And I, and I checked myself in at the Walnut Creek Hospital, a psychiatric hospital, and I stayed there about 12 weeks. And when I came out, uh, my wife had gone off somewhere and the kids, I didn't know what was happening in the place. My place was lost. And so I had to, I came out as a, in fact, I was homeless. I came out to the psychiatric hospital and they gave me an address of a place with shelter for people with mental illness. And, and I couldn't even get in. They wouldn't even open the door for me. And anyway, I wound up eventually, uh, while I was in the hospital, I started drawing. 
and it's just a way to heal me. And uh, then I went to paint. And then when I got accepted into the GTU, Graduate Theological Union, they had me, they furnished me housing and things. I had started painting a lot. And uh, someone came to my uh, place one time on Art Street, and they said, you should have an art gallery. <laughs> I said, art gallery? <laughs> and uh, after that, I had some money, and I just said, I'm going to start this gallery. I pursued looking for a place, and one thing led to another. I found a place at the California Hotel, and they let me come in. And I mean, I paid, paid money, you know. But it was a lot of work trying to get that place organized because that's where we, it was a, a large space, and we, we tried to host a lot of community things there and, and art, and we had prison art, art from San Quentin and Leavenworth and prison women, women in prison and homeless art. But people would come in. We always just, I always just tried it because I had a refrigerator and a stove in there. <laughs> so we always tried to have something we would have, and we would cook uh, holiday meals, you know, and people would come in and eat. But it was just trying to be a service to people, you know, because they were all, everybody was equal, you know. We just, you know, you're hungry, cold, and, or you have problems. It was just trying to be there for them. Every Thursday night, we'd have movie night. Movies produced by uh, colored producers, uh, African-American producers uh, from the uh, 30s and 40s, and even si a couple of silent films I had, because I had brought a projection system, and and because people, uh, when, when the streetlights come on, things change, and sometimes there's nothing to do or families can do anything, but you could come always to the gallery there, and I always had coffee and something to eat there. So people know they could come in out the rain and just sit in there if they wanted to. I just try to be a home for them because they were many were homeless or living on the edge. In fact, I had I had to live there <laughs> undercover because I couldn't afford, you know. So uh, 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 it was great because we were uh, we were open seven days a week from early morning to late in the evening. It was like we had a mission or something, but we had a lot of art, and we and people would come. We'd have sometime a celebrity would come in. I remember when I was. It was always a place where you know the entertainers and things would come. The Zanzibar room, they they had all those like mambo sessions and all that stuff in the Zanzibar room, uh, which was a big deal. Because in the 60s, it, it was a place where a lot of uh, hookers might have hung out, you know, and pimps and the max and things like that. Well, I was a teenager, and I remember used to hang down there. We hang down at night and watch the the pimps and max and women on the street and do our little devilment. So it, it was it was vibrant. There was a lot of action and things going on, and the, and the Zanzibar room was, you know, it was a high-end place. There's a lot of uh, a lot of great history there. That that place is filled with great history. But I always felt a presence in there, a presence of a lot of spirits, like yeah. But they were friendly. The only thing I didn't like was the rats, and there were too many of them. They were large. And, you know, they come out in the daytime or whatever, you know. <laughs> I didn't like the rats. It was uh, the first time I noticed it. I, I was asleep. I, I had my little bed upstairs in that Zanzibar room. It was a little office. And uh, I was laying, and I looked up over this little, like, like a closet thing I had, and I saw this big, giant tail hanging down. And I looked again, and it turned around, and it was a big rat. That was the first one I saw. Then I saw them all over the place. Uh, we had some high uh, professional poison put out, and it would make them drunk, and the, and the rats would come out in the daytime and just fall out and die. We had some traps, too, and they got into the cages, and they were ferocious. I remember they would be, I mean, they wanted to tear us, looked like they wanted to tear into us, and they were inside the cage. But they, they're known to even eat through metal. But I was, we were there for a while until the, the rats just got where well, we couldn't manage it. 
I had operated the expressions, and I call it, it was expression art gallery and outreach ministry. So I had ran it for nine years, and it's a very expensive, you know, it was a lot of sacrificing and things. Even though I did have uh, people would donate funds to me and things, you know, that I could to do some things there, but a lot of it came all out of my own pocket. But we, we just had to have a place. I wanted a place where people could be, you know, that anybody could come into this art gallery and feel at ease at home. Sometimes people would come in and they had problems, you know. They just needed someone to talk to. And that's what I would be. Uh, uh, but it got so much that I, I could not afford it any longer. And I just gave away all I could. And I took up a job in Miami, Florida, working with the city of Miami because of my experience with prisons and homelessness. And then I've just stayed ever since. But a lot of times you ask people, do you remember the Expressions Art Gallery? And they always have some very favorable things to say, and it makes me happy. All right, that was Alan Laird's story. And coming up next, we're going to talk to another artist with a deep connection to the California Hotel. I'm referring, of course, to Andre Jones, the founder of the Bay Area Mural Program, and BAMP, as they're called, Bay Area Mural Program. They're actually located in the California Hotel now, um, which is doing a lot better, uh, I should say, than it was during uh, Mr. Laird's time. As you heard uh, in that segment, there was some uh, issues with rats and bed bugs and things like that. But uh, since Ibaldi took over the hotel about a decade ago, there's been a lot of renovation uh, and a lot of that vermin, or uh, hopefully all of the vermin, has been uh, taken care of. But BAMP. Dave, how did you get to know Andre? How did you get to know BAMP? And uh, can you talk a little bit about what they're doing in terms of uh, their role in the Black Liberation Walking Tour? One of the my favorite things about this neighborhood is just the cultural affirmation I feel from the street art that are on so many of the public walls here. Um, this particular stretch of San Pablo Avenue and then the side streets are just a cultural wellspring. And so there is a particular image on a particular building uh, where the Friends of the Hoover and Rant Public Library has hosted its pop-up libraries. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a black queen blowing bubbles. And that piece struck me from the first time I saw it. And I always wonder, I was like, who, who, who did this? And so I'd see the name, you know, Natty Reb. I was like, who is that? I'm like, I gotta find out who this person is because this is dope. And I don't know what it is about that image, but I think this is what happens for black people. When we see ourselves reflected in our spaces and our stories, um, it affirms who we are in the world and the culture um, and the history that we carry with us. And so when I would be, you know, feeling funky and out of sorts and, and just needed a respite and just to feel emotionally, psychologically better, whatever, get my spirit right, get my mind right, um, I would just go down there and just look at look at the mural and just look at her and just think, and it it just I don't I can't explain it. it just did something right for me, and so I just kept asking questions, and so finally um, Annie from Abalti was like I know who did that that's a, that's bam that's Andre so it took, just took a while um, to to track him down and so we finally uh, made the connection he's just such a grounded dude and just holds so much um, artistic, cultural, spiritual knowledge that he's just, a, just an impressive dude. I just like him as a man. I like what he represents. I like his organization and what he's about. Um, and so um, we ended up connecting and he ended up you know, doing some more work for me. So BAMP is going to be doing a, a mural on uh, 30th and San Pablo as part of the, the tour that's going to be one of the new, next phases of the tour. Uh, that part won't be part of the launch party that's going to be coming later this summer. As you guys are going to see, you listeners out there, there's going to be a lot of phases to this tour. We're, we're starting with about a dozen sites or so, but it's going to expand to more sites, more stories, more art maybe some augmented reality, all kinds of tricks up our sleeves in terms of like the cool stuff that this tour is gonna encompass. But Andre painted this mural in your backyard and I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about who some of these people are on your wall because uh, I know it's like a mix of 
family members and historical figures from this neighborhood. So what are some of the meaningful stories that you think about when you, when you are sitting here on your back porch looking at this incredible mural? Um, just want to remind everybody and our reminder that one of the things we'll be doing at the Juneteenth event is asking people to vote on mural samples for that mural on 30th and San Pablo. You know, we're engaging our community to understand what it is that the community wants to see on these walls. And so this is actively portraying community control of our neighborhood, right? And reflecting back at people to create a sense of belonging in this neighborhood. So I wanted to make sure I dropped in that. So about this mural, um, you know, the story of the black, second black great migration to Oakland, you know, maybe the first wave uh, was the post-World War I migrants who came here and found a lot of work as porters on the railroad. Um, and certainly the next wave was the tens of thousands of black folk uh, came from the Jim Crow South uh, to work in the factories associated with shipbuilding. That fundamentally changed, you know, Oakland here. And that's, that's my family's story. And so that great migration story is depicted here, you know, on this wall, starting, you know, in the bayous of Louisiana where my grandmother is from going through uh, Texas, where she met and married my grandfather, had a couple of kids, and then that great migration route along Highway 10, you know, stopping at uh, the safe places where black folks could sleep at night um, using the Green Book Guide, and ultimately ending here uh, in Oakland where they ran out of gas rationing coupons. And then we've got um, you know some really black liberative, black liberative icons uh, in Oakland here on the wall as well. C.L. Dellums, Delilah Beasley, and Lillian Love. I will put up some photos of this mural on the uh, East Bay Yesterday website, and I'm sure we're going to have them on the Black Liberation Tour website, which I believe is blwt.org. And so folks can uh, see this incredible piece that we're talking about right now with the trees and the, and the different figures and the bubbles. and. Uh, I mean, there's just so much going on here. So I think we've really got to put those pictures up so people can appreciate it. Since I know <laughs> you're not going to want everyone on the tour to necessarily be uh, tromping around in your garden back here in your backyard. But let's jump into this interview with uh, Andre, and he's going to talk more about his story and the history of Bay Area mural program and why they feel it's so important to incorporate like neighborhood history into the murals that they're putting up on the walls here in, uh, in Oakland, California. All right, here we go. Hi, my name is Andre Jones. Uh, I was born and raised in Northern Virginia. I have been an artist ever since I was small. Grew up in a military family, so got to travel a lot when I was young. So um, I was on a train with my mom at the age of three going cross country in Germany and she saw a horse out the window and you know, I was like, oh, mom, draw me a horse. And she went to draw a little stick figure or something, and this is her story. Of course, she was like, I took the pencil out of her hand, was like, that's not a horse, and I drew her a horse, and she was like, okay, my son can draw. That was my beginning, uh, the beginning of my art career, we'll say that. Tell me about how you ended up here in Oakland. What brought you to the East Bay, and when did you get here? Uh, let's see, it was probably 2007. My buddy asked me to come and drive the van and help vend at a reggae festival. Actually, it was a reggae tour. It was a reggae band out of the Virgin Islands. I'd been to California, but I'd also kind of embellished. was like, oh yeah, I know the lay of the land so that I could really just get the job. He was a big fan of my artwork. I was a big fan of their music. So I drove the van from L.A. all the way up to uh, Oregon and all of the different little festivals, reggae on the river, um, you name it, we hit it. So it must have been about like 12 shows stop. And I fell in love with Oakland of all the places. L.A. was a little bit too high end and poshy poshy. Um, Oregon was a little too gray and, and rainy and Oakland was just like the right, I mean, coming from the East Coast, Oakland, it really, I connected with the culture of Oakland. It gave me the most feeling of the East Coast and just that diversity. So um, I planted my roots here in Oakland in 2007 and been here ever since. 
So take me through that process of getting to Oakland, being an artist, and then now running Bay Area Mural Program. That's, I'm sure that that's quite a journey, but like, what is the origins of BAMP? Tell me about like how this all came to be. Oh man, all right. So coming from the East Coast, um, I've done a lot of murals all over the world, but I worked with the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program for like seven to eight years. It took me a while to really just get a foot in the door. Um, in my earlier career, black art wasn't really, you know, maybe for private collectors behind the scenes, behind the scenes, but you know, in main galleries, anything that looked like graffiti or anything that looked like anime just didn't get that acknowledgement of being gallery worthy art. Um, so it was kind of like an uphill battle, even working for the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program. They were like, you work with the kids. And I'm like, no, I want to do the sides of these big buildings. They're like, your subject matter is, you know, like a little too black. And I'm like, what is too black? It represents what we're going through on a daily basis. Like, I don't create the narrative I just depicted. And they're just kind of like, yeah, we get it. And mind you, Philadelphia, you know, synonymous with Oakland and its arts, art activism, you know, um, I partnered up with Pam Africa, the Move family, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal's uh, uh, organization, and was really making strides to do like Mumia murals, and I did a little Move mural, and that kind of like got me blacklisted to where they were just kind of like, this is a little too black, and I'm just like, ah. So I wanted to do my first solo exhibition, it was in a art exhibition called Vivant Art Collection. It was a Haitian art gallery owner. So I was like, okay, cool. She'll allow me to do my two black artwork. She comes to my studio. She looks at my artwork and she's like, I love you know, your message. I love what you're doing, but let me be 100% honest with you. In my gallery and most galleries, the two main subject matters that sell are women and flowers. She was like, I look at your artwork and you have neither nor and I'm like, yeah, but it's not about flowers and just pretty faces. It's about a message and a cause. And she's like, yep, all of that. But if you want to sell art pieces, you got to play by the rules. So I did my first exhibition and it went well, but it wasn't great. So pretty much I was like, all right, I need to even diversify my art because I was starting to have children. I have like. Um, what was that? That was 2002, so I think basically I'd had two children by then, so I wanted to make a living as an artist, and I didn't want to do anything else, so I was like, all right, I got to diversify. I got to really start playing the game. Philadelphia and the East Coast already has a lot of art organizations. I was already mo uh, making moves over here to back and forth to California for the, art, uh, the reggae festivals and some art festivals. I saw that it was still kind of like wide open, my stays got longer out here in California. Um, so I started my independent art career in California around 2007, but I was still running into the same problems. My street artist name is Natty Rebel. So it was tough getting projects or even clients that wanted to work with quote unquote Natty Rebel. Um, so I was like, you know what? I got mouse to feed. I don't want to do anything else but this art thing. So I was like, you know what? Bay Area Mural Program. What is it that I want to do? I want to work on murals. Where am I? The Bay Area. I want to do murals all throughout. So I templated the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program, brought that to the Bay Area, started working with community artists um, to do competitions, to do murals, engage um, communities, to do um, murals on their schools, libraries, uh, you name it, we painted it. And it not only just felt good, but we also got more work, not just myself, but even a lot of the underrepresented artists that I work with. Um, under the title Bay Area Mural Program, it's a lot easier for people of all walks of life to digest, even if you still get black represented artwork, um, you also still get the flowers and the pretty portraits, right? So full circle, Bay Area Mural Program was to help underprivileged artists like myself that don't get the representation on high-end projects or with high-end clients. But also a big part of that is serving the community and not just what I've had to find is not just creating these images that I wanna see or interpret what I think a movement or a community is trying to say, but actually engaging that community 
finding out all the different sides and, and hearing all the opinions and then trying to depict that into something that the community can digest. Let's talk about some of the work that you've done in this area, in the Hoover Foster neighborhood. Maybe can you talk a little bit about that process of like, okay, someone approaches you about doing a mural. How does it go from that initial conversation to what eventually ends up on the walls? Like, what's that process like of deciding what's going to get represented and who's going to have a voice? Yeah, it's uh, a process that unfolds in a, a lot of different ways. A lot of times we're approached by property owners. Sometimes they're community stakeholders. A lot of times we go out and find walls and it's, you know, just getting in contact with them. But we've also partnered up with people like Ibalsi, who actually have a grasp of you know different properties and even actually have the funding to support organizations as we develop. So it's been great to even just partner up with businesses that support us, uh, like the restaurant right next door, Magnolia Street Restaurant, who during the pandemic and the protest they boarded up their their restaurant and just asked us to paint the front of it to beautify because plywood only looks good to some people. Yeah, and what's on that plywood right now? Uh, so it unfortunately is uh, the, the deceased members of police brutality, uh, the Breonna Taylor, the George Floyd, um, Oscar Grant. So I think it's like six or seven different people that we wanted to highlight, um, painted with the red, black, and green, just showing the solidarity um, that Oakland has, even with people that weren't necessarily killed in Oakland, but just seeing this as a na nationwide crisis and showing solidarity with families and the people that also support these causes. Um, so yeah, that's what uh, Magnolia Street was. And then we have uh, the Housing Justice Mural on 32nd and Chestnut, which is uh, pretty much just addressing the homeless issue that has been on the rise for the past couple of, well, I guess a decade or two. Um, but just to where we're at this place of like all the homeless camps that we drive by and we can't even avoid not seeing them. I've seen some places even over in Berkeley where they've tried to put up like curtains so you don't have to look at it. But I'm like, that's just a Band-Aid. And let's really talk about the issue. So the mural on 32nd and Chestnut, it actually has some of the tents inside of there. It has uh, people standing in front of their door holding little houses showing that everyone deserves a home. Everyone you know, want somewhere that they can take pride of and just, you know, feel accepted and belonging. So I know that another big project that you were involved in in this neighborhood was the murals down by um, 30th. Yeah, yeah. So for the radio listeners, can you explain, like, what that project looks like and tell me a little bit about the story behind it? Definitely. So that was an evolution of just a bunch of artists coming together. Uh, Ibalsi had initiated the project. Uh, I think that was like 2017 to where they were paying tribute to the uh, community leaders in the Hoover Foster community. And then it stretched out into uh, a Black Panther tribute that pretty much highlighted uh, just members and even artists that are Black Panther Cubs. Uh, shout out to Reefer One and his organization, Aerosol. They did a large revamp of that wall to where they brought artists together. And then basically it's connected to the infamous Yogi Bear wall with uh, Afro Girl that I painted in 2015. That was just kind of like a, a free wall that we just had fun. I was really getting to know uh, community artists and graffiti artists. So really that one was just kind of like everybody came out and just did their own thing. Um, and it's still, Standing today, we're actually going to repaint it, quiet as kept, uh, just to spruce up the neighborhood and give this Black Liberation walking tour just some new life and something new to actually, you know, get excited about. Um, so be on the lookout for that. That one will be coming this summer. It's going to have a lot of historical and um, Oakland references that, you know, people should be able to identify easily, but then also some historical moments in the in the mural that you know just will be learning lessons for for everybody as well too so i want to ask you about the mural that you did in dave's backyard tell me about what you thought when he's like i want to do like a black history <laughs> mural in my backyard <laughs> um let's see so we me and dave met because there was actually 
talks of redoing that San Pablo and 30th Street uh, mural. And he was like, and also, um, could you come do a mural in my backyard? And I was like, now you really got my interest, sure. What are, let's talk about, what do you want? And he was like, okay, I want the history of the Great Migration uh, from Louisiana and Texas all the way to Oakland. We were actually supposed to be going up to Oregon, but we just stopped in Oakland. Been here ever since. I was ran like, out of gas, right? Ran out of gas <laughs> and been here ever since. And I was just like, great story. How much of that do you want in this tiny wall? He was like, all of it. I was like, okay. And he was like, and you got this mural down on San Pablo and 30th of this girl reading a book. And I want that in the mural as well too, but kind of just make her cooking a bowl of chili because my family's from Louisiana. And I was like, okay, give me a few days to design and I'll come back to you with something. I came back to him with uh, design. He liked it, he was like, just change this, 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 and we're good to go. And I'm like, all right, let's go. So um, yeah, that was the story of meeting Dave Peters and just hanging out with him in his backyard. I know some of the people on that, that mural in Dave's backyard are his, fa his own family members, yes. but then there are some other historical figures like C.L. Dellums, um, Delilah Beasley. Yep. Were, you, like, were you learning about them as you were painting the mural? Were you like, I gotta like, know more about who these people are? Like, what was that like? Or did you already, were you already kind of familiar with them? I knew C.L. Dellums. I didn't know the rest of them. And I really have grown to love this part of being a public artist is like I really have to do the research and the studying um, behind the scenes before even stepping to the wall to just get perspective. Um, I got to find three or four images to just get their smile right because that one photo could have been a one-off of them just kind of and people are like nah he doesn't really smile like that. So you become an art anthropologist as a public artist because you have to do the research just to find out what was their role and get a little background history on it just so that you can add a little bit of background imagery to the story to kind of help tell the overall narration so that people are like, oh yeah, trains, porters, oh, that's gotta be CLD. So yeah, if I did, you know, kites or something like that behind it, it'd be like, no, you didn't do your homework. Um, so it's, it's fun. I didn't really love this part of it when I was younger, but now as I've gotten older and really want to like, if you want to make people happy, is show them that you're listening. You know, we can paint really cool images with bright colors on the wall and we'll get a smile. But if we ask somebody, what do you think we should put up there? And they're like, a picture of my grandma. And they come back two weeks later and a picture of their grandma's up there with the bright colors, they're going to get goosebumps. And that's the overall effect that we're really trying to, you know, like capture with doing these public mural art, these public murals. And I would imagine just like when you have that privilege or that ability to um, spend a lot of time on a piece as opposed to like, you know, just hit and runs with like little burners and stuff like that. You can like really put a lot of thought into it and add those little details in a way that it's hard to if you're like, you know, if you got to look out down the block or something yep. like that. So. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you guys end up in the California hotel? And what do you know about this space? Man, I know it's a great space. Just from the highway, it's like one of the you know things that stands out on the skyline. But um, pretty much like I said, we've done a lot of projects with Ebalsi. So when the space was gutted out like a year ago and they were looking for residents, they had mentioned it to me. Like, matter of fact, I was looking for a space and they had showed me three or four different spaces, but something really felt special about the California Hotel. We had moved in right before the pandemic hit. So initially we were gonna be working like art programs with the seniors here in the space, some in the backyard. We have a nice garden in the backyard. So we have been able to engage some of the community in open air space. So some of the other spaces didn't really have that communal aspect already built in. Um, so the California Hotel was just like a no brainer for us. And, you know, we just loved it because we have a lot of our murals in the area as well, too. In 2014-15 is when me, Kiss My Black Arts, uh, Dead Eyes, and a bunch of other artists were just really hitting it hard in this area. And we weren't really getting paid for it. We were just throwing up burners. Yeah. Um, there would be a few community members that would reach out, storefronts, liquor stores. They'd be like, hey, we got $100, $200, can you come paint? I'm like 
cool. You know, we got a little bit more time so we don't have to, you know, we get permission, sweet. And just love the whole community engagement. I feel like it's not really community engagement if we're not working with other artists in the community. If we're just working with the residents and stakeholders, we're still missing something. So, you know, it's getting in contact with those graffiti artists, you know, working with them, but really just making that whole connection because the other part of it is we are not out there 24-7 watching our murals. There are not fences or glass uh, protections on our murals, so they're exposed to the whole world. So if people don't like them, it's very easy to deface or just throw paint all over it. So making sure that we have that connection in the community with the stakeholders, the graffiti artists, the home, the, oh, sorry, the houseless community, um, the shop owners, the corner shops, um, just making sure that we're supporting, going in and getting to know, you know, the corner shop owner and, and buying food, you know, just so that everybody is connected and we're like, hey, don't mess with that wall, yeah. man. Those, you know. Only certain types of people are ever going to set foot in an art gallery, but everyone, all people from all walks of life drive up and down or walk up and down San Pablo Avenue. Can't miss it. You can't miss it. Yes. And it's like you gotta soak that in when you see it because you're making this art that is so vibrant, like you can't look away. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and then, like I said too, it's, it's the layer. So even, you know, it's like, oh, nice eye catching. Oh, wow. What is the mess? What are they trying to say there? So it's, it's the beginning of these conversations, you know, addressing issues of inequality, of houselessness. So, you know, it's, as the artist, we're just the messenger. I don't feel like murals are the answer, but it is, like you said, a great way to not avoid the conversation. And I feel like that is the initiation that we want to start to where people can now come together and have panel discussions about this, even with the, you know, Asian solidarity and, you know, everything going on with the, you know, like, discrimination against Asian communities. It sucks, but now let's talk about it. Now let's really address these issues and rectify them. Because if we don't talk about them, we can't rectify them. Right? Exactly. And so what is your hope? Well, I guess I'm just wondering, like, the, the walking tour, I like it because it's like, okay, you can learn history from reading a book or watching a documentary on YouTube, but it's so different when you're standing in front of C.L. Dalton's house. Right and walking around the streets that you know that he walked in. And then I just feel like um, uh, elements of the tour like that are historic, not like monuments, but sites. But then the murals are kind of like putting a new twist on that, because like you're representing history, but it's through this modern lens. Right. That's where I wanted to go. So the seeds that we've planted, but I feel like it's great with this Black Liberation walking tour to really just be the visual depiction or even the eye candy of the tour. So, you know, you have the historical sites, you have the houses, but as I was talking with David, you know, like you need some fresh paint, you need some murals that actually depict the story of the Hoover Foster community so that that way people know what it is that they're engaging. I feel like there's some great artwork, but it just all needs to be tied in together and that's what I feel like this this uh, walking tour really is gonna help do just kind of like tie all the great history all the great murals in together and then the mural that we're working on the 30th in San Pablo will really just kind of serve as a centerpiece that expresses like what all of this whole neighborhood and community and we you know we take pride in just being like I said the creators of the eye candy because the history is definitely more important but the murals are probably going to be what grabs people's attention, right? And can you tease that one that's coming out later this summer at all? Can you give people like a little taste of what to expect from that one at all? Oh, it's just going it's, it's gonna to scream Oakland. It's going to scream Hoover Foster. That's, that's all. I mean, we're still kind of like playing around with the design. We're kind of going back and forth. We're still getting um, submissions. I have a rough sketch of what I would like to see up there. It's definitely going to have, you know, the historical landmarks and things like that, but uh, trying to give it just a little bit more Oakland flair to really just kind of also bring in the next generation of people. So I feel like the historical aspect of this walking tour is going to get the 35 and over crowd interested, but how do we engage the 25 and under crowd? 
When I was 25, you tell me a walking tour about historical people that have already passed away, I'm not gonna be signing up for that anytime soon. But if I see some really cool flashy murals with some people, uh, you know, turf dancing or even hitting some little, some wheelies on scraper bikes, I might sign up for that tour. And hopefully the flashy bright artwork pulls them in. And then once you're there, now you learn something or you find out something that you didn't already know, even if you are from Oakland. So this is kind of like how I like to approach a lot of the murals, you know, just grab people's attention and then teach them something as they're digesting. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And hopefully there'll be some, some good music at the uh, launch party too, and that'll help bring people in to see this mural of, uh, like just the way you described it was so dope, but like I was almost picturing like CL Dellums like on a scraper bike. <laughs> Like, so this culture clash, you know, I mean, maybe not him, but I would <laughs> like to see that juxtaposed imagery of like yeah. a young kid with an afro or, you know, somebody who's not because CL Dellums was very clean. And yeah. mind you, just like my father in that era, you had to be you couldn't show up to meetings in your sneakers and with hats and T-shirts. I mean, especially if you were a black gentleman, you had to be twice as sharp and you had to be twice as you know etiquette you know like on top of your etiquette like it just like had to be that and I feel like it's a great thing to show that you know like yes we all can achieve that but now to be more in the modern eras like you know we've had our Russell Simmons that have shown up at million dollar conferences with Adidas and fitted hats and there's nothing wrong with that if he's still making his company millions of dollars like does he need a tie? So I really want to show that juxtaposed imagery because I feel like Oakland has that freedom of really even, you know, even with the uh, transgender community, with the black community, the Ohlone indigenous community, like it's really this outcry of people really just wanting to be themselves. Yeah. And I feel like we can really depict that and showing like, yes, we can dress up to the T when we need to but we can also let our hair down and really just be Oakland or just be Hoover Foster and there should be nothing wrong with that as well. And I just can't think of a better place to do a project like that because, you know, a topic that I've been curious about for a long time that I, I want to do like a whole future episode about is just the history of San Pablo Avenue hmm. because supposedly before colonization and all the infill, this was like a main line. Uh, like this was a, a trail, right? An Ohlone trail, essentially. Yeah, so. the trail. And I mean, I, I feel like even before the gold era, the gold rush, like it was just a indigenous way of just coming down. Like it was the indigenous highway. You know, it was their, it was their 80. Right, because everything west of here was basically like marshland. Right. So this was like the first kind of solid land that people could travel on. So this was a corridor for, I mean, maybe going back 5,000 years, 10,000 years. Think about it. If you had a time machine, you could see all the people that have gone up it's and down this trail. Up and down this trail because it's like even going up like uh, Highway 1, it's a lot, you know, like it's a lot of curves. It's very rocky. It's beautiful, but if you don't want to necessarily, walk, you know, like you're gonna come a little bit inland and then just kind of like, yeah. So I mean, and this is why I love doing the research and you know why I call myself an art anthropologist because I love painting these pictures of prehistoric or pre-documented time of just kind of like, huh, if this was a trade route, I'm wondering how, oh, and then it makes sense, like how the gold rush and then even the stories of Queen Khalifa, which California was named after, you know, like, so just even painting all these pictures and just being like, wow, I get it. You know, like, it's just, yeah, I love California. I love Oakland just for these historical, you know, meetups and like just the great migration. It's like, it all, it's like just that, you know, like hub for abundance in a sense. Exactly, and it's like, you can tell such major stories of national and even global significance just through the lens of looking at what happened, not only just in Oakland, but in this very neighborhood. Like this was such a crossroad for so many important people. Right. And so that's why I feel like what you're doing, what we're doing together is so relevant because it's not just, I mean, it's for the community, but I think people who come here from outside the community will get a whole new appreciation for the, for the for history, history of this lovers. place. It's for, for people that really just love, like me, even when I travel outside the country, like 
I love the origins of a thing. I love like if I hear a language or see a fruit, I'm like, huh, you know, like I love pluots, but it's like, how did the pluot get here? Where did it come from? Oh, you know, it's a plum and an apricot. Like the origins of a thing is really what like, you know, motivates my gear. So I feel like, yeah, you know, and it works for all of us. Like once you know how something operates and works, you're more in, inclined to like want to deal with it and appreciate it, right? So. You know, that's, that actually brings up a really good point, and it talks a little bit about this in the Oakland Side article, but I know one of the reasons for the tour, for the existence of the Black Liberation Walking Tour, is um, not only, well, I guess that what I'm getting at is there's a danger when you're kind of revitalizing a neighborhood or uplifting a neighborhood that that will make it more vulnerable to outside investment that will result in displacement of longtime residents, right? And so what's your approach to participating in a project like this or doing street art that will beautify a neighborhood? Um, how do you kind of frame it in a way that is gonna be trying to be a part of the side that's resisting that displacement? And that's why I feel like it's super important for us to engage the community, the seniors, the young people, the houseless people, the people that have had corner shops and stores for <clears throat> decades in these communities. It's super important to see and understand what they want to see because this is also their community. It's almost, you know, like playing devil's advocate. Would you not clean up your front yard just because you don't want anybody to come and buy your house? You know, do you not clean up your neighborhood? Just you keep it trashy just so people don't invest in it? Like that to me makes no sense. And then even taking it a step further, it's like, would you tell the Egyptians not to have paint all those beautiful hieroglyphics, even though the rest of the world has traveled far and wide to see? Like, would you tell them, no, don't do that because that's going to make Napoleon want to come and invest. That's going to make uh, all these people just want to come and invest in like all your brilliant ideas. You're like, don't be brilliant don't show that brilliancy you know try and preserve it and protect it the best you can but I feel like even with my art and the reason why I became a muralist um, I used to do canvas pieces I used to draw on paper but I feel like that's mine or it's whoever I share with when we do murals that's for the world you know when I'm done with that I'll put my heart and soul into a wall and then I leave it and that's a gift to that neighborhood to that community to you know so it's really about just giving your energy, you know, whatever it is that you do, share that, you know, like that to me isn't a reason for people to criticize you because like, oh, you made your community look nice. You know what, you're a part, of, you're the reason for gentrification. It's like, mm, no, to me, if you keep your neighborhood looking trashy, that would be a reason for people to want to like get rid of all the trash and just like totally clean up the neighborhood. So. You know, it's a, it's a no-win for those type of people with that perspective. It's also just such a limited perspective because if we're going to prioritize who we're pointing fingers at in terms of gentrification, let's start with the institutional investors that are evicting people, the big right. banks, these real estate syndicates that are kind of just moving in, buying up houses, flipping them, and then turning them into like rental properties so no one can afford to live there anymore. But uh, I think we agree on that point. <laughs> um, one thing I'm curious about, and I'm going to wrap it up in a second here, but uh, for people that are coming on this tour, for people that are coming here to see our murals that aren't from this neighborhood, that aren't from Oakland, mm -hmm. that um, maybe they're walking through these streets for the first time, what do you think it's important for them to understand about this neighborhood that they're experiencing or walking through? Um, I think that it's important to understand the history of this neighborhood, just to understand the legacy, like you had mentioned before. This is old Black Panthers stomping grounds. Um, so just that alone, the people that know, know, but I feel like there are so many, you know, not just with the, the artwork of this Oakland community, but like I said, the, the Black Panthers um, and just, you know, the, the social activism that has uh, arose out of this community. Like even when the pandemic and protest hit, I personally thought every city in this country was boarding up their 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 stop their shops and putting beautiful artwork on all the plywood because that's what was going on here in Oakland. And I'm talking to buddies in other cities and I'm like, "You guys aren't painting up your plywood?" And they're like, "No, why would we do that?" And it's like, "Oh, missed opportunity." And then I'm really thinking I'm like, "But it's the social activism of Oakland, but even for people that weren't necessarily born here in Oakland, the people that have moved to on a grassroots social level, 
they have generated or, or gravitated towards Oakland for these reasons, because of that social activism, to really make a statement and have their voice heard in the face of oppression. Dave, so that was Andre's story. Again, I hope everyone checks out you know, these images. We'll put them online. You can see some of the murals on the tour, but um, it's just incredible, incredible work that he's been doing. Before we close things out for today, one of the things I want to ask you about is the process of bringing this tour together. You've kind of been like the quarterback of this whole thing, bringing folks from different walks of life together to collaborate on this incredible Black Liberation walking tour. And I know that one of the things that we've been talking about on the side is how the product, the tour itself, the art that's gonna come out of it is gonna be incredible, but it's not just about that, right? It's about this process of actually building the tour and meeting folks. So you were, you were just telling me like you're already meeting some of your neighbors that you've never talked to before just because you're like promoting the event uh, that's coming up this weekend. What's that been like to be in this position where you're trying to kind of like rally people around this concept? Yeah, and so it, first of all, I just have to thank the folks that I've been collaborating with on this project. Everybody else that is working on this tour, it blows my mind, dude. Um, it is just such an invigorating and humbling and gratifying experience to see people catch this vision and adopt it as their own and, and just emulate that passion and that fire and that initiative to make this make this come together so to the black liberation walking tour team um y'all did this thing this is this is i can't thank you enough um the uh process and so so we're we're, do, we're doing original historical research here um, you know, talking to people, collecting oral histories, developing a cultural asset map, developing and delivering um, this walking tour that is, can provide knowledge, information, and culture for people, not as a museum piece, but as a platform to be able to drive community control of this neighborhood. You know, I, I grew up in, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And so that Black Panther notion of community control of our neighborhoods is, is something that I was born with and is integral to what I believe. And so this project, while we are delivering something tangible, we are driving towards something that's more intangible, and that's you know, community cohesion. We're building community capacity uh, on the road to building community power to be able to engage in the community process to design and define you know, what this community wants to see in our built environment in the future. Right? And so this process of doing these projects and gathering people who are passionate about this work and then developing my capacity, the other organizations that are involved in this work, the San Pablo Area Revitalization Collaborative, the Friends of the Hoover Durant Public Library, the East Bay Asian Local Development Corporation, the West Oakland Cultural Action Network, Attitudinal Healing Connection, the Bay Area Mural Program, um, this collection of community-based organizations are coming together through their participation and involvement in this work. And so me, I'm a grandchild of black southern migrants. I sit on the porch. I talk to everybody. I wave them when they go by, you know, and you, you, know, you drive down the street with your windows down. You might hear my voice, too. Um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm looking for a reason to talk to people. And so you give me this event and a little postcard to share with people. I'm excited. And so I had an opportunity to just yesterday meet a neighbor, Sonia, uh, whose situation is very similar to mine. And so her grandparents came here during, during the war, World War II, um, and she is now, has inherited that house, and she's, she's living there um, with one of her siblings. And so I flagged her down, and we got to talking about the event Saturday. You know, she'll be there. But we engage in a deeper conversation around the neighborhood and, you know, what it is that we love and what it is that we would like to see changed. And so opening those doors to community cohesion, to making connection, is really what this tour is about. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of East Bay Yesterday. I've been one of your hosts, Liam O'Donoghue, 
My co-host today was Mr. David Peters. The biggest thanks this week goes out to everybody working to make the Black Liberation walking tour happen. Check the website BLWT for more info, uh, and there will definitely be updates on the tour and uh, how it's going to be expanding in the future, coming very soon. As always, you can follow East Bay Yesterday on uh, all the social media channels to stay updated about more local history news and events. Big shout outs to all my supporters. You can see images related to this episode at eastbayyesterday.com. And uh, that's going to do it. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back soon with more episodes of East Bay Yesterday.